Well, thank you for the introduction and the kind welcome, Alan, and, and everybody at the Ad Agri Conference. It is such a blessing to be with you again. It was three years ago that it was held here at Camp Kalakwa in Florida, and I had the privilege to, to, to just dwell on the beauty of nature, the joy of this message of agriculture. And here I stand again on this platform. It just makes me breathe easy. Take a deep breath with the beauty of nature and the gardening images. And here we are to think about the living parable that is agriculture. But I have to say that in the last three years, since I was last with you, my love for an appreciation for nature and agriculture has, has increased dramatically. And my commitment to issuing the call, the invitation to detach from endless media and start to rediscover what it means to be human again. And of course, most of you are familiar with our ministry through Media on the Brain, Belt of Truth Ministries. Of course, we've been at this for, for seven years, and uh, or a little over seven years now. So it was 2012 when Media on the Brain came out, and things were already getting out of control with media use then. And so the latest, The Media Mind, seven years later, 2019, just last year, came out with a new series on media. And I have to say, with all the media problems that I'm talking about continually at churches, weekend after weekend, doing hundreds of these seminars over the past few years, the best antidote to anti-social media is agriculture. There's a little alliteration for you. Agriculture, the antidote to anti-social media. But the crisis is only growing when it comes to our culture and what we are facing. In the digital era, we have witnessed now a 50% increase in ADHD in children, a 60% increase in teenage depression, and get this one, a 70% increase in teen suicide. And all of this just happened to spike immediately after the advent of the smartphone, social media, and ubiquitous media use among the youth. So I'll tell you something, there's a whole lot more to be said about that in the media mind. We're going to focus our attention on this concept of a living parable. Yeah, I'll weave a little bit on media in, and we'll do this grow, grow, grow concept in the latter half of the message. But just suffice it to say that we've got a crisis of magnificent proportions. View the whole thing on the media mind. You can go to beltoftruth.tv to understand how much bigger the media problem is now than when I first started talking about that. But um, I like this image on the screen, a living parable. You see the, the image of the, of, the, of the produce and the garden implements there. It just um, makes me just slow down. And want to open with prayer this evening with you and thank God for this, this wonderful gift he's given to us in nature and in agriculture. So would you bow your heads with me for prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to seek your will in our lives, in, in our practical endeavors, in our entrepreneurial outlets, and everything that you've given to us to, to enjoy you and to live for you in service to the God of heaven. And so, Lord, as we seek to understand this concept of the living parable, we pray that you draw us closer to you, closer to your creation, and closer to one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A living parable. I am a strong believer in the mission of Ad Agra. And this is about really committing, communicating, the everlasting gospel to the world in this generation. You might say, well, where's the connection there? I have to tell you right out of the gates that 
what, when we talk about matters of, of agriculture, this is not simply for earning a living, for doing something productive. Those are great things. But it's about our character development. And that's what this living parable is about. We're going to get into that in the last half of this message. Grow, grow, grow. But first, what is a living parable? Where did we get this phrase from? You know what a parable is, of course. A parable is a, is a, is a teaching. A teacher will use an object or a story from everyday life and will expound upon it as a spiritual lesson. So a everyday Occurrence will be used to teach a spiritual lesson, and a teacher is teaching the parable. So a parable is taught by a teacher. What is a living parable then? Listen to this statement in Testimonies, Volume 6. This land about the school, speaking of Avondale, is to be reserved as a school farm. It is to become a living parable to the students. The students are to look upon it as a lesson book. Notice that. Look upon it meaning the farm, as a lesson book. The farm is a living parable. The farm is a lesson book open before them, which the Lord would have them study. Its lessons will impart knowledge in the culture of the soul. So the farm itself is teaching lessons. Did you, did you follow that? A teacher teaches a parable. A living parable is teaching through nature. Its lessons, the farm's lessons, are a lesson book. And I love teaching. I have a teaching background, so I enjoy teaching. But even better is when the divine voice, when the presence of God through nature is communicating to us. And I don't mean that in a new age sense. I mean that in the divine, biblical, spirit of prophecy sense. Like it says in Job here. Now ask the beasts and they will teach you. And the birds of the air and they will tell you. And the fish of the sea will explain it to you. Go to the ant, consider her ways. That's from Proverbs. Now, this is taken from a testimony on education, page 70, where the rest of it says this. We are not merely to tell our children about these creatures of God. The animals themselves are to be their teachers. This is another concept of a living parable. The animals, the farm, all of the beauties of nature and the lessons embedded in nature by God's divine wisdom are teaching us directly. Even with the children, isn't that something? They can allow the animals to teach them themselves. He desires us to read his message in every lily, and every spire of grass, Christ Object Lessons, page 19. On the holy rest day, above all other days, we should study the messages that God has written for us in nature, living parables. And Christ has linked his teaching not only with the day of rest, but with the week of toil. And notice specifically what kind of toil. In the plowing and sowing, the tilling and reaping, he teaches us to see an illustration of his work of grace in the heart. Then our daily toil will no longer absorb our attention and lead us to forget God. Our daily toil will continually remind us of our creator and redeemer. The thought of God will run like a thread of gold through all our homely cares and occupations. For us, the glory of his face will again rest upon the face of nature. We shall ever be learning new lessons of heavenly truth and growing into the image of his purity. Thus shall we be taught of the Lord, and in the lot wherein we are called, we shall abide with God. Beautiful. 
I can't say a word to add to that. Doesn't that just fill you with inspiration to spend that time in that toil, in that garden, and hear the voice of God and have his golden thread woven through all of our daily tasks when we allow the living parables to teach us. Now, what a contrast that is with this generation. This concept is totally lost upon the culture around us who spends all their time indoors, so many hours playing video games and other media. In fact, do you know how how many minutes of screen time the average American consumes? In 2018, it was 666 minutes of media per day. And you're looking at that number, you're going, whoa, that's a ominous number from Revelation 13. This is not a fulfillment of Bible prophecy, of course, but it is an ominous number and a very large number at that. That's an awful lot of numbers of minutes, a lot of, awful lot of minutes per day. This one right here, by the way, as you watch the, the B-roll transpire here, I want to tell you, half of teens now admit that they are almost constantly on their devices. Yep, he falls right in the hole. Those who are listening or on the live stream, not watching it. Guy walking down the street on his phone, right into the hole, the manhole he goes. Right through the barrier, just walks right through it, falls right in. The average American touches, taps, and swipes their devices 2,617 times per day. I wonder how many times we touch, tap, and swipe uh, the things in the real world. I'm talking about the plants, the soil, the, the physical objects, wooden nails, anything real. Are we even rivaling that 2,617 figure for how many times we tap our devices? And yep, what you're seeing right now is an image. that This one on the news, this was a baby. You see the baby swiping and playing with the iPad here. Well, then they, they give the baby a magazine. What is the baby trying to do with the magazine? The baby doesn't know how a real magazine works, trying to swipe it. This is sad, like kind of cute and funny on one hand, but very tragic and, and pretty fearful for this generation. We're wondering, are we losing a grip on what it means to be human? Teens now consume nine hours of entertainment media per day. Parents are just under eight hours of entertainment media per day. They are spending twice as much time just watching Netflix than all quality time with their children combined. The average adult spends more time looking at screens than sleeping. The average American spends 65% of their waking hours consuming media. The average American now spends 4.7 hours on their smartphone per day, checks their phones 80 to 150 times per day, and still somehow manages to watch four hours of television per day. So we're just adding and piling and piling on. Three quarters of children spend less time outdoors than prison inmates spend outdoors. I mean, we're talking about living parables. It's lost on this generation if we've built for our children and ourselves a virtual prison. In The Last Child in the Woods, a book by Richard Louvre, he goes over a study. He explains a survey that was done of 11-year-olds. And it discovered that that the majority of 11-year-old kids today have never climbed a tree before. Never once And those who had climbed a tree, when they were asked subsequent questions, they would say, oh, you know, really, I just wanted to get back inside and get back on my video games. They asked these same children, hey, how many of you would be interested to go to the park when we're done? Only a third of them were interested in a visit to the park, which I would have figured 99%. It's like, hey, Rover, want to go for a walk? Like, (laughs) you know, he's wagging his tail. He's ready to go. Isn't every kid always ready to go play on the playground? Only a third of them. The average child 
spends twice as much time just playing video games alone than all outdoor activities combined. Listen to this clip. This will let it. This will let it hit and sink in deep. When you were a kid, what did you do for fun? So we'd go blueberry picking, for instance. Uh, just that's so cute. <laughs> We grew watermelons, um, plantains. I found an old sign which was big enough for me to sit on and made a great toboggan. It was very slick, very fast. <laughs> I had a few fish in my basket and I looked up on this bluff and here's this black bear sitting there watching me. If he starts chasing me, I'm going to keep throwing the fish out of my basket until he's gorged and he won't, and he won't bother me. And what did you like to do for fun? You know, you go door to door, get a group of kids, and you play uh, lots of games, uh, hide and seek, just going out to the field and playing baseball. And we build these massive forts, you know, the kind that you can actually sit in and, and, and play in, you know, with, with our friends, and it was just really wonderful. So what do you like to do for fun? Video games. Definitely. I like to go on my phone. Text. Some email. My favorite thing to do in the world is definitely watching videos and playing video games. Those take up so much of my time. Three hours, or t three to four hours a day. Same. Five hours straight. Just last week, I watched 23 episodes of a TV series in less than four days. I forget. I'm in a house, I have parents, I have a sister, I have a dog, I... Just think I'm in the video game, I completely get lost. I would die if I don't have my tablet. Whenever I feel upset, I'd play video games and I'd feel normal. It's really wonderful. When your daughters grow up, your great-great-grandkids, what do you think will happen if this trend continues? It's scary to think that they'll never have to leave the house. Cindy grew up uh, doing a lot of the things that I did and, and enjoyed. And I see what uh, my grandsons are doing today, and it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. By the time they have kids, it's going to be a really different environment. I actually feel a little sad because I feel like he's missing out on what's out there mm -hmm. in the beautiful world. special connection with nature. I think it's innate in all children, but needs to be nurtured. Dr. Nicholas Cardaris states in his book, Glow Kids, kids raised with screens were almost universally what I like to call uninterested and uninteresting, bored and boring. They lacked a natural curiosity and a sense of wonder and imagination that non-screen kids seem to have. They didn't know or care to know what was, going, what was happening around them in the world. All that seemed to drive them was a perpetual need to be stimulated and entertained by their digital devices. So we can sum that up by saying, the media mind is bored and boring. The mind of Christ, though, is fully alive. The media mind is immersed in the counterfeit reality. But the mind of Christ is awake to the wonders of nature. 
The media mind is enclosed in that virtual prison, but the mind of Christ is free, is free to seek and to find from the living parables all around us. Let them learn to draw lessons and discern truth for themselves. In their gardening, question them, speaking of the children, question them as to what they learn from the care of their plants. Do you notice already in this quote, it's what they learn. Let them draw lessons. You're going to see one of the most important reasons we have living parables right in this quote. As they look on a beautiful landscape, ask them why God clothed the fields and woods with such lovely and varied hues. Why was not all a somber brown? Teach them to notice the evidences in nature of God's thought for us, the wonderful adaptation of all things to our need and happiness. Children should be encouraged to search out in nature the objects that illustrate Bible teachings. Do you hear in this quote a whole lot of living parables talk where nature itself is teaching them? It's great to have a teacher, but it says here, let the children learn to draw lessons for themselves, discern truth for themselves. Ask them what they are learning. Teach them to notice themselves and they may search out in nature the objects. So the number first reason of three here for living parables is the first benefit that we may become thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. Because when we're challenged to probe and to investigate and to seek for ourselves, the mind is quickened. The young peoples and all of our minds are able to discern and think individually as led by God, which is going to be very important in the last days, by the way, right? I mean, we're dealing with deception and all of this. But the problem with this modern culture is it takes some time, really, to, to, to have these things sink in, to ponder them, to probe them. The average human attention span in the industrialized world is now a mere eight seconds long. Shorter than that of a goldfish. Time magazine. You now have a shorter attention span than a goldfish whose attention span is nine seconds. That's extraordinarily long, I guess, compared to our eight seconds now. The average person, 77% of people admit that when nothing else is occupying their attention, they just... Pull up their phone, see what's on there. I didn't even get a notification. There's just nothing immediately occupying my attention, so I've got to be on there. Something's going to stimulate and grab my attention on there, right? But the reality is, if we want to be thinkers, the average person has the big light bulb moment where it's like, yes, the creative thought just happened, or problem-solving moments, or I just came up with a great idea. It takes an average of 15 to 20 minutes, they say in studies, for people to have that big moment, the aha moment. 15 to 20 minutes is like a thousand seconds, and we're never going to get to that if our attention span is only eight seconds. The book of nature is a great lesson book. So there's living parable language again. Did you notice it? Nature is the book. It is doing the teaching. And as the works of God are studied, the Holy Spirit flashes conviction into the mind. It is not the conviction that logical reasoning produces. That's key. We'll come back to that. But unless the mind has become too dark to know God, the eye too dim to see him, the ear too dull to hear his voice, a deeper meaning is grasped. A deeper meaning is grasped. 
and the sublime spiritual truths of the written word are impressed upon the heart. So the written word, the truths therein are impressed upon the heart as the book of nature is opened before us. We always think of this as, you know, book number one, book number two, but they actually integrate together. The truths of the written word are impressed upon our heart as we allow the book of nature, the living parables, to teach us. Now, back to that part where it says this is going to be a deeper meaning, and it's beyond what logical reasoning can produce. It says it is not the conviction that logical reasoning produces, and nothing against logical reasoning. We just saw the number one reason is that we can become thinkers, not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. Logical reading, reasoning is essential, but a deeper heart conviction is needed. So that's number two. Living parables take us even deeper than logical reasoning to the heart conviction when the Holy Spirit flashes that upon our minds. Now, I do need to say, as a matter of emphasis, that this is a generation that has lost the capability of reasoning as well. Uh, in disc five, session five of the media mind, it's called People of the Book in the Age of the App. I, I, I don't have time to get into it, but unbelievable stats and, and alarming eye-opening information about how this generation is not reading deeply. It's, it's spurts and bits and jumping from this to that online, and we're not reading books like we once did. I won't get into the whole thing, but I do need to make a pitch right now for book reading. Yes, the first book and the second book, right? The book with a capital B and the book of nature. You might be aware of the fact that there, there wasn't book reading, though, for the first, um, you know, many hundreds of years of the human existence, did Adam and Eve have, have books in the Garden of Eden? Do we even as human beings have like a reading gene in our, in our DNA? No. There's no circuit in the brain that's a dedicated reading circuit that you're born with. The reading circuit in the brain that we develop through learning to read actually involves and integrates two hemispheres of the brain, four lobes per hemisphere, and five layers of the brain. So God made us fearfully and wonderfully. In one cubic centimeter of the brain, we have enough connections that would equal the quantity of stars in the galaxy. So, wow, God foresaw that we would be doing this, but they weren't, they weren't, interestingly, reading. Why? You know, you have Adam and Eve there in the garden. They have the living word, Jesus, right there with him, with them, and the, and the angels as well. End of story, right? Well, there's more. I, I always figured it was just the written word wasn't needed because the presence of Jesus was there, but there's more. Christ Object Lessons again, page 18. In their original perfection, all created things were an expression of the thought of God. So all of nature is expressing God's ideas to Adam and Eve in their Eden home. Nature was full of the knowledge of God, teeming with divine instruction. This is living parables stuff again, isn't it? Nature itself is instructing, it's teeming with divine instruction, the knowledge of God embedded right there in the beauty of nature, in the incredible science of nature, in all of the object lessons to be derived therefrom. Wisdom spoke to the eye and was received into the heart, for they communed with God in his created works. Now, I know that they walked with God in the midst of God's created works in the cool of the day, but this says they actually communed with God in his created works. So they had both the, the living word present with them and nature 
what we call the second book, although I guess it would be the first book in chronology because there wasn't the written word yet, and they had the book of nature before their eyes, and they communed with God in nature through the lessons taught with the divine instruction. And so when we read in Genesis 2.15 that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Think about that. What we are doing in our orchards, in our gardens, in our berry patches, in our greenhouses, in our little vegetable pots on our, on our back porch, from small scale to large scale, we've inherited Adam's farm, haven't we? God put man in that garden before sin, before the written word, God was communicating through nature and through the toil of daily life. In these lessons direct from nature, there is a simplicity and purity that makes them of the highest value. All need the teaching to be derived from this source. So you might have heard those other quotes about the children and figures figured that only applies to the children and in education in the schools. No, all of us need the teaching to be derived from this source, the lessons direct from nature, this source, simplicity, purity. The quote goes on, Christ Object Lessons, page 24. In itself, the beauty of nature leads the soul away from sin and worldly attractions and toward purity, peace, and God. Too often, the minds of students are occupied with men's theories and speculations, falsely called science and philosophy. They need to be brought into close contact with nature. Thus, the mental powers will be strengthened. We covered that. We will be thinkers. And then it says the character developed, the whole life ennobled. So there's number three, the third benefit of living parables. The simplicity and purity of nature's lessons ennoble the character. So there's the three summed up in one word. Thinking, conviction, and character. And speaking of this character issue, this also has a lot to do with nature and media and the contrast between the two in this culture. The prefrontal cortex of the brain is where we regulate our emotions and impulses, where we exercise wise judgment and planning, where we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. You exercise self-control and live by the Spirit right there in the choices made in the executive center of the prefrontal cortex of the brain. It's also known as executive function or executive, notice this word, attention. Now, didn't I mention earlier we have a shortening attention span, all of us, and a 50% rise in actual diagnosed attention disorders among children, a 50% rise in just 10 years. So the environment is inducing us into this low attention span state. So what's the antidote? Well, the antidote, of course, is nature. You put children in a playground surrounded by birds and trees and grass, and all of a sudden you see their attention spans lengthening, witnessed in studies. And then you put the same kind of kids with the same kind of playground equipment, but put them in an urban jungle, surrounded by buildings and on the pavement and everything, and their attention spans aren't lengthening like they were with the nature setting. This is a study that was done in Sweden that shows it's, it, detaching from media is only step one. You have to replace it with nature or you only got half the battle won. Interestingly, did you know that simply the act of watching fish swim in a fish tank 
it lengthens your attention span, which gives new meaning to by beholding we become changed, right? We behold the fish and we may be able to achieve the nine second attention span that the fish has. Hopefully we'll go far beyond that and behold God's word and behold nature and be made in the image of, remade in the image of God once again as our brains are transformed and renewed. So that executive center, here's, here's, the, here's the punchline. Executive attention in the prefrontal cortex is the same area for all those character development traits that I just mentioned. Self-control and regulating our impulses and emotions and the ability to think critically. All of that is happening in the prefrontal cortex. And when we're struggling with our attention span, we're also going to be struggling in those other areas. So that's why when you hear from the spirit of prophecy that nature is going to improve our character and our thinking, well, that's known now in the neuroscience. We call it being transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's true healing, salvation. Some other good news. When you take children out of Los Angeles, out of the urban schools, and put them in a, into a five-day nature excursion camp setting, you, you look at their emotional intelligence before the five days begins and look at the emotional intelligence of these fifth graders after the five days is over and you found just five days being media free and, it, and being in nature and team building and you know hiking and archery and all sorts of things. They're improving their emotional intelligence in just five days of detaching from media, getting in nature. Dr. Victoria Dunkley has treated hundreds of children with previously diagnosed disorders from ADHD, DMDD, this is called disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, depression, anxiety, bipolar, and on and on and on and on and on. And she's a psychiatrist, a practicing psychiatrist, but people come to her practice to get a alternative prescription. What is her prescription? It is not a pharmaceutical answer. She puts the kids and the youth on a 100% media abstinence, zero screen time for three weeks. The results of this practice are astounding. Hundreds of children have undergone this treatment, replacing media with nature, and 80% of these kids have the majority of their symptoms disappear. Let that sink in. I mean, that is astounding right there, right? They're, they're being, 50% they're, of them have all of their symptoms disappear. Totally cured, although we're not allowed to say that. I do not intend to treat, diagnose, or cure any blah, 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 blah. But um, that's what's happening. 50% of them have all of their symptoms disappear. Screen time is a contributing factor to virtually all of the children I have treated, she says. Then you get social media with the, particularly the young adults, college students, University of Pennsylvania found all these problems with depression and anxiety and loneliness going through the roof. I don't have time to get into it all. There's a session in the media mind called anti-social media. You definitely want to view that session, beltoftruth.tv, and look at the disconnected childhood and how to be human again and digital pharmacia. And of course, people of the book in the age of the app. Five sessions, the media mind, the, the, probably the most important stuff that we've put out as a ministry. People are telling me it's more important than media on the brain. Media on the brain obviously is calling people apart from the world and the Hollywood entertainment, music industry, video game addiction and all of that. But we're dealing now with a generation that is totally struggling with mental health. Did you know that one quarter of college students are now diagnosed with a mental disorder? Like what? A quarter of them? Yeah, the, the, the counseling 
offices at university campuses are inundated with young people. They can't even handle it all. And you're 2.7 times more likely to be depressed if you're a heavy social media user than if you use very little social media. So University of Pennsylvania put them on a 30 minutes a day max social media for one, for, for one week. A Denmark study did a similar thing for one week, but they said zero social media for one week for these young adults. They found loneliness dropped 36% people's loneliness scores. Their depression rate, according to the, the diagnostic criteria that are used to diagnose depression, dropped 33% after one week of no social media. Amazing. So I come at this from somebody who started to catch on like kind of late in the game. You can see the image on the screen there. That's me and my family. Just a few years ago, we moved into the country. And we said, the Lord is calling us to something different. We picked up this book called Country Living. And wow, okay, it's time to go as soon as the Lord opens the door. The time is now. Out of the cities and enjoy the beauty of God's presence in nature and agriculture. So in 2013, my family moved from the city to the land of living parables. That's me and my firstborn son there hoeing the garden beds, getting them ready for our very first garden. Now, growing some of our own food has literally been a living parable to us. I want to teach you one lesson from the living parables this evening, and it's about growth. It's about a growth mindset. That's a phrase I'll use a lot, growth mindset. But first, have you ever tried this one with, with plants? This is flowers, houseplants, uh, poinsettia, anything. You know, your, your garden, you name it. Any growing, living thing, your fruit trees. Have you ever tried to have it thrive but not grow. You're like, what are you talking about, Scott? Yeah, well, here's a, here's a hypothetical question. Can a plant stay the exact same size, not grow, but still be thriving? Well, the obvious answer to that is no. A, a, a plant cannot be fixed. It cannot be in a set stasis, in a fixed, non-growing condition and still be healthy. It either grows or dies. You ever heard the song the children th sing? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. As in nature, so in grace. There can be no life without growth. The plant must either grow or die. As its growth is silent and imperceptible, but continuous, so is the development of the Christian life. At every stage of development, our life may be perfect. Yet, if God's purpose for us is fulfilled, there will be continual advancement. Continual advancement. And that's something we try. We try different things. Like New Year's just happened, right? I put on this thing called a pedometer. It's the continual accountability partner attached to my belt. And I look at that and see, okay, my goal is to do at least the 10,000 steps per day. And I like big numbers. So I go, okay, multiply that by 365 days. In 2020, I want to walk 3.65 million steps. That's the goal. Sounds impressive. It's not really that, that big of a deal, but um, that's one way you grow in other areas. One thing my family, we've been working on is we got these two clickers that um, you wear it on a lanyard or you put it in, in your pocket or on your belt. You know what I mean by a clicker? Kind of like the referees would use in competitive sports and you just, it's a counter, okay? Every time you click it, it adds one to the tally. It's a little counter. And we said, all right, we got two clickers. One for every positive uh, expression of gratitude and praise to God that comes out of any of our mouths. The other clicker is we, if we ever complain, 
Like, did I really need to say that, you know? Negative thoughts and expressions of, of, of negative feelings. It's like, we want to we wanted diminish and actually, you know what, not diminish. We were like, what shall our goal be? Like 10 to one? And then the scripture flashed upon the mind, do all things without murmuring, the Bible says. So not like 90% of things without murmuring. So we want to approach zero on the critical negative, uh, you know, tally, tally clicker. And giving thanks always, continually, as the Bible says. So our first duty toward God and our fellow beings is that of, what's that word? Self-development. Now, I, when you first heard that our first duty toward God and our fellow beings is that of, I would have figured it's love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first duty is to die to self, to live in wholehearted service to God. Our first duty is to worship him. Well, yeah, but there's a prerequisite to all of that. This statement actually takes us a step before that. Before I can live life for God, before I can serve my fellow man, it says our first duty is actually, actually self-development. Now, be careful with that phrase. My iTunes on my computer popped up a while ago, and this book right here, this audio book, appeared self-development and there's a picture of the new age meditation taking place and apparently that's a trendy thing out there in new age circles but a hundred years ago what was this well here's the rest of the quote when ellen white wrote this self-development is described not as some new age you know trendy thing it's every faculty with which the creator has endowed us should be cultivated there's good agriculture language huh cultivated, all of our faculties need to be cultivated to the highest degree of perfection, that we may be able to do the greatest amount of good of which we are capable. So a life of service is lived on the heels of us growing, developing every faculty. So our first duty is to ourselves. Notice this phrase, development, that, that, that term, development, sometimes flies in the face of the way we normally think. Usually, we're accustomed to thinking of natural endowments, genetic inheritance. I've got natural ability in this. I'm no good at that. She's naturally gifted at that. He's good at that. He's not, not cut out for that. But, but you know, the quote doesn't say to dwell on the natural abilities, which do exist, of course, but we way, way overrate those. When we see somebody doing a great job at something, wow, they were just, you know, that's just came naturally to them. And you know what? This book, Outliers, by Malcolm Gladwell, they were looking at this in corporate settings in the world. And they, what they found was <clears throat> the people who are the best salesmen, the best artists and painters and musicians and the best, uh, as I mentioned, corporate leaders, business leaders, entrepreneurs, the people who are the cream of the crop, like the names that you would know as the best at that, the best at that, the best at that. Do you know how they got to that level? It wasn't being born with that. These people on average spent 10,000 hours. They call it the 10,000 hour rule in the book. 10,000 hours invested in their craft, in their skill, in their uh, calling. That's a lot of time, isn't it? I mean, the average young person actually spends 10,000 hours playing video games by the age of 21. So maybe we're wasting our lives away and we could become great in service to God. But the quote doesn't say to dwell on just natural endowments and like we're in a fixed state. 
It says development. Our first duty is self-development. Now, there's two different mindsets that I've already alluded to here. A fixed mindset and a growth mindset. I'm trying to get us into a growth mindset because a fixed mindset will say things like, you know, you're just smart. Or I'm just socially awkward. Or she just has a green thumb. And notice the language freezes you into that fixed mindset. But the growth mindset says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You acquire agricultural skills. It's not just he has a green thumb. You were born with it and I wasn't. We can acquire agricultural skills. You develop intelligence. You cultivate social skills. Every faculty must be developed through self-development as our first duty. Now, there's amazing research on the negative power of a fixed mindset. They took children into a classroom with a little experiment. They gave them a test, and the test wasn't the experiment. The kids thought that that taking the test was the experiment, but they're actually going to give some feedback to the children after they score on their test to see how they do in subsequent activities after the kind of feedback they're given. So one, class, one group of kids is going to be put into a fixed mindset with the kind of feedback that they're given by the researcher. The other classroom of students is going to be given, put in a growth mindset. I'll get to them in just a second. So the first group of kids, they score on their tests and the, 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 the researcher comments on it and they go, oh, Johnny, you got a 7 out of 10. That's a really good score. You must be very smart. Oh, Susie, you got, a, you got a 9 out of 10 there. That's a really good score. You're really good at math, aren't you? Oh, Joey, you got an 8 out of 10 there. Good score. You're just good at school, aren't you? And they would put them in. You might say, well, that sounds like a nice thing to say to kids. It's encouragement. It's the wrong kind of encouragement. Watch this. These kids, after they, this, this test was over, they gave them other tests and opportunities to try other challenges. These children, number one, stopped enjoying their work. Two, didn't want to take on more difficult tasks, basically for fear of, fear of revealing their weaknesses because they've been placed in this fixed mindset. And their performance on subsequent tasks even dropped. So their IQ went down. I mean, this is a temporary thing. It's not like this afflicted them for the rest of their school year or something. But in the moment when they're in that mindset, it's really messing with them. So we don't want to allow fixed mindset. Grow, grow, grow. The living parables have taught me about growth. The plant either grows or dies. Let's focus on the growth, not focus on simply the natural endowments and the fixed mindset types of language. So the power of the positive growth mindset on these kids. The other group of kids were told, ooh, a seven out of 10, that's a good score. You must be working really hard at your schoolwork lately. Ooh, a 9 out of 10. Good score there, little guy. Um, let's see. Uh, I'll bet you you've been studying hard and working hard. Ooh, an 8 out of 10. You're really developing in your, in your, in your schoolwork uh, skills, aren't you? So they put them in a growth mindset by talking about effort, talking about growth, talking about development instead of just you're smart, you're this, and a label. And what happened to these kids? They enjoyed their work more. They wanted to take on more difficult tasks and their performance increased. So their IQ went up. Now, most amazing of all, the kids who were put in the fixed mindset, when they were told, okay, now the this, this study is over, you're gonna take, uh, take this piece of paper and write a letter to children at another school who are going to do the same experiment. Tell them what you, what you did, how you did, tell them what score you got and we'll send that off to them. Well, the researchers then look at the scores of the kids and what they wrote to the children at the next school. And they found 40% of these kids in the fixed mindset group lied about their score. 
This is um, Carol Dweck, author of the book Mindset, who conducted this study. She says, we took ordinary students and made them into liars simply by telling them they were smart. Now, I would add unhappy, fearful, less intelligent liars. It's like, man, you can really mess with people in the negative way. Or we can go, hey, let's, not ha- let's have them be honest, intelligent, courageous, motivated, happy by the way that we... Now, by the way, this is not just some psychologist's idea. It says in child guidance, wherever we go, we see children indulged, petted, and praised without discretion. Self-will and pride are evils that turned angels into demons and barred the gates of heaven against them. And yet parents unconsciously are systematically training their children to be the agents of Satan. It's like, don't just sit there and heap praise injudiciously upon children or upon anybody. It will puff them up. And you know about the 90s self-esteem movement. That was the big trend and it was well-intentioned. We just kind of, you got to do it more smartly and you can't just be praising what happened with the 90s. You are so smart. You are so amazing. Oh, you are so incredible. And then that generation grows up and becomes the most insecure, narcissistic, least empathetic generation ever recorded. So we have some wisdom from child guidance there. We got to think about how we praise, but but that's just a a sub point. The bigger point here is getting into that growth mindset, which by the way, I have a whole lot more info on the growth mindset concept. It's on the new series called Remnant Rising. excuse me, beltoftruth.tv. You can view the session called Grow, 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 and you'll get everything that we're not getting to here. But what, what does the Bible say about growth? Romans 12, verse two. Our minds should be transformed and renewed, right? That's growth mindset language. Press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Growth language, right? This is really growth language. Till we all come to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ unto a perfect man. That's growth right there up until the harvest. Throw aside the sin that so easily entangles and run the race, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. We're running the race. We're advancing. We're charging forward with growth. And then here's my favorite one. Hebrews 5 verse 8 tells us Jesus, when he was on this earth, had to learn obedience. Jesus learned obedience. Yeah, he never sinned. But he even grew. I mean, didn't we read at every stage of development, we may be perfect, but there is continual advancement. Adam and Eve would have advanced continually in the garden in an atmosphere of no sin. So grow, grow, grow. It will continue for eternity. But the reality for many people in their fears and feelings and and, and insecurities We've, we've been given the concept of the fixed mindset that you are this, you are that. Well, let's say I've been told, okay, you're smart. Well, then if I mess up, what does that mean? Well, everything is fixed. I'm either smart or not. So if I fail at something, oh, you know, this is terrible for my self-worth. So the fixed mindset person fears failure. Makes me feel like I'm worthless when I fail. It's a fragile way to live. I mentioned the insecure generation. The growth mindset, though, says, no, 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 no. Failure or mistakes, failure or mistakes, just give me feedback about how I can improve. A mess up doesn't define me any more than a win defines me. It's all a work in progress. Grow, grow, grow is what the living parable of nature in the garden taught my family when we moved into the country. Now, who is this man? This is Thomas Edison. 
You probably have heard that after spending hundreds of hours in a seemingly futile attempt at inventing a light bulb, Thomas Edison famously stated, I have not failed. Wait, did you invent a light bulb? <laughs> no. What do you mean you have not failed? Did you invent one? No. What is he talking about? A futile attempt at inventing a light bulb concluded with this, I have not failed. I have simply found 10,000 ways that won't work. I've found something. I've discovered something. 10,000 fruitless attempts? No, they were not failures. They were discoveries. 10,000 discoveries. Another time, Thomas Edison stated, by the way, he did eventually invent the light bulb, if you don't know the story of Thomas Edison and the light bulb. But um, I think everybody did. That probably went without saying. But um, another time, he said, you know, if something works for me the first time, that's a problem for me. Because to, to Thomas Edison, he valued the trial and the error, the, the rigor, the struggle, the, the learning that goes into the process of not, of not succeeding immediately. He valued the process more than the final product. So he said, it's a problem for me if it works out right away. And most of us would be thrilled. They're like, give me the easy way out, right? Speaking of the easy way out, um, I used to teach high school, right? And um, I would, I would uh, what are you guys doing for the summer? You know, you're going to do a summer job? I'll get back to that story in just a second. I got to take you back to third grade. When I was a kid in the 80s, I was told that there's this great investment and every quarter I could get my hands on, I was at the baseball card store, Upper Deck in my home neighborhood. And I would be at Upper Deck buying those baseball cards, stockpiling as many 1988 tops as I could. But I ran out of money quickly and realized, okay, in order to achieve this great investment that I, it's turned out not to be a great investment <laughs> at all. but um. I was told it's a good investment. I love the baseball cards. I want to buy more. So I put my mind to it. And I, me and my neighbor, my friend, in third grade, we started a snowblowing business. We gave, we gave ourselves a name, SJ Snowplowing, Scott and John Snowplowing. And we went knocking on doors in our neighborhood. Hey, we're SJ Snowplowing. We will snowblow your driveway every time it snows. By the way, I grew up in Michigan. It snows a lot there. We'll snowblow your driveway every time it snows, and it's $10. The person at the door is like, hmm, $10. $10 each time you come, huh? No, 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 just $10 for the whole winter. <laughs> we're, we're third grade. We have no concept of the value of money. And their eyes open wide. $10 for the whole winter? Sign me up. And so we got a ton of business and we were snow blowing driveways. By the way, isn't that a bygone era? Third graders driving around with, not driving, uh, pushing around their hand, held uh, hand, push, push, push uh, snow blowers there. What, what, that would be uh, child protective services would get called perhaps today. I don't know. Anyway. I do not recommend anything that would endanger children's life, limb, or happiness. Uh, you know what? Happiness actually is not found. I mean, there's a great danger in children just sitting and playing video games. When they uh, you know, break a wrist once in their childhood or something like that, this is less harmful than a childhood full of inducing them into an addiction. So just uh, food for thought there. I have a whole lot more to say about that. Did you know that childhood injuries have increased since the safety phenomenon? Oh, I wish I could get into the whole thing. Just view disc two of the media mind, the disconnected childhood, and disc three, anti-social media, um, beltoftruth.tv. So I, we, we needed to learn, though, um, trial and error here. 
about halfway through the winter, some of these people uh, that we were snow blowing the driveway for, they, they started going, you know, you really should charge more. Here, have a little bit of extra money. They felt bad. They felt guilty. Well, the next year we wisened up and we went, okay, we can charge more than $10 for the year. Let's do $5 per time. And we did, made a ton of money, and I have a piles and piles of useless baseball cards to prove the success of that business endeavor. But, um, you know, back to my young people, my, my, my teenage students, I'd say, hey, you guys gonna do some work over the break or over summer? Uh, no, they don't, have, they don't hire anymore. Wah, wah, wah. The siren turns on, I'm like, what, are, are you a victim? No, the fixed mindset is passive and powerless. It's like, there's no growth, there's no ingenuity, there's no, I'm like, guys, I was in third grade and doing snow blowing, and I'm nothing exceptional or special to do that. I just knocked on doors, you see a need, snow on the ground, people want it removed. It's not, not, not that much genius behind that. But the fixed mindset is passive and powerless and victimized by circumstances. The growth mindset says, no, have dominion over creation. God put Adam in that garden, and I sometimes feel like the garden has dominion over me and the weeds are conquering me, but we can have dominion. Get those power tools out if needed. Get the muscle and blood, sweat and tears, and by the, by the, by the sweat of our brow, as God said, Adam will do this thing. Having dominion of creation. And here's a great phrase for you for the growth mindset so that you can happen to things instead of being passively a recipient of all of the circumstances that will get you down. It says in Steps to Christ, everything depends upon the right action of the will. Because listen, we've been given a power akin to that of the Creator, the power to think and to do. Dominion over creation, Adam in the garden, and us in our agricultural settings and in every area of our lives as well. Well, I did end up getting a job at age 15. Started wisening up and saving and working hard. And interestingly, here I am at the agriculture conference. This is a picture of the greenhouse where my dad worked when he was a kid. So that's from 1960. And then I went to work for that little kid there. He grew up and was that grown man there with the poinsettias that haven't turned red yet. And so that's, that's my boss, Dave. And his dad is the, uh, the older gentleman there that had been my dad's boss. So, okay, this is a family tradition. I'm going to work at Ludemus Greenhouse and I'm in the agriculture where I, have no, I had no idea. I'd never heard of, of Seventh-day Adventists. I'd never heard of the book Education, Ellen G. White, True Education. There was no ad agra. This was 1995 and I'm being thrust into this and I had no idea what a blessing and benefit this would be in my life. But the reality is I did have a lot of fear and trepidation going to the first job. I mean, I'm 15, I'm one of three freshmen working at this place and the other two knew how to do some things. I knew how to do nothing. I'm tempted to have a fixed mindset here and be like, I'm just not good at this. Like they're going, hey, Scott, go get the board stretcher. <laughs> like what, what's the board stretcher? Okay, I'll go get it. And it's not a real thing. It's a prank, very cruel and mean. Say, hey, Scott, go get the Phillips head. Are you pulling my chain again? No, no, a Phillips head. A, a Phillips head? Like what, what is that? No, it wasn't quite that bad, but almost. So I'm not very handy, not like, I'm going to work and I don't know how to work. And this is, you know, I, I, I did some snow blowing, I did some lawn mowing, but this is intimidating to me. But I was taught, look the boss in the eye, show respect, 
When he calls you over, you walk fast. You don't just lollygag around like a bum. So it was funny. He would wave you over. And if you just walk normal speed, he'd give you a second wave a little more aggressively. And you're, you're, you're 50 yards away, 100 yards away down the greenhouse bay or whatever. And he's waving you a third time. You're running by that point. Well, I quickly learned when he waves, just run. So he'd also have this, this phrase that most of the other young guys would make fun of. He'd be shouting and shouting with this kind of, you know, crazy voice. He'd be like, break is from 10 to 10, 15, not 10, 01 to 10, 16. And all the young guys would repeat that and make fun of it. And I said, okay, I'm going to be done with my break at 10, 15. Boss said so. And I'm not Mr. Goody Two-Shoes here. I just want to have a job. You know, this was in a time in my life. I was actually kind of rebellious against my parents and living in the world. But it's like, okay, I want to earn money. It's just rational to, the boss said, break is from 10 to 10, 15. So I'm done. I punch in on time. Remember, I'm probably the worst worker on staff. But get this, and this is not bragging, because believe me, when it comes to me and manual labor, there's nothing to brag about. But I was one of the very few who was kept on later in the summer because of the work ethic, because of the commitment, because of the growth mindset. So the fixed mindset is always, oh, I'd rather not try something new. I'm afraid it won't work. I can't do it. But the growth mindset, and this is what a lot of us are doing here, right? Let the living parables teach us about growth and trying something new is a great opportunity to learn something new. Yeah, to go ahead and make some mistakes and fail a few times and hopefully learn how to do it. And it doesn't reflect poorly on me or define me as a failure or I'm bad at such and such. Grow, grow, grow. September 7, 2018, our little guy Silas turned five while we were traveling to Colorado. And I was speaking at Eden Valley for a time and then we were heading off to Rocky Mountain National Park. After the conference, I picked out the perfect hike there in Rocky Mountain National Park. The best hike in all of the park. Maybe the best hike that our family, well yeah, I'll get to that in just a second. It's called the Mills Lake Hike. 2.8 miles up the mountain with a stop by Alberta Falls on the way. Have the lunch at Mills Lake, then 2.8 miles back. So, okay, it's morning. Kids are up. We're having breakfast. We're getting ready to go. Mom says to the little guy who just turned five, Hey, you're five now. You can go on a five-mile hike. And you know what? His face was like, <gasps> He went, Wah! He was whining like a 16-year-old. I mean, it was like, oh no, what have we gotten ourselves into here? We got to get this kid fired up for this. Like, it was, I can't, I can't, I can't. So we get on the bus, you know, the shuttle bus to go over to the trailhead. It's like, all right, you're sitting next to me, buddy. We're going to get our mind off of the fears, get the inner growth mindset going. So here's the pictures of the, the family on the bus. And we headed off and we were all ready to go enthusiastic. I'll tell you, it was unbelievable. The, I, I can't come up with language to describe the, the feeling. I mean, it's sense, multi-sensory. Not only what you see and what you hear and the sound of the bubbling brook and the effort and the rigor and the, the endorphins from the climb and, and, and the, the smells and the sounds and the sights and the relational connectedness. Words can't describe it. These pictures give a little glimpse of the fun and the running and the climbing and the joy that we experienced on that hike and the breathtaking beauty. Oh, you get up to that top and you see the lake. Wow, I didn't know something this beautiful existed. 
God's living parables communicating of his glory, his, his artistic uh, expression and love for us that he would make such an amazing place with such grandeur and his power that made the mountains rise. So all of us agreed at the end of the day, this is maybe the best day as a family we've ever had. There's the little guy on top of the rock, literally, almost literally on top of the world, feeling it, no doubt. He did it. And then on the way back down, that's easier going downhill. And then at the end of that, hey, let's do 0.4 miles around that lake over there. That'll give you six miles at age five. So you try something hard and sometimes you slip and fall and fail. But when you know that you've done something, you've taken on a challenge that you didn't really want to do. Oh, how great is that when you can give thanks to God who gives you the victory. And the same kid didn't want to learn to ride a bike. All right, we're putting the pedals on the bike. That's how we did it in our family. We didn't do training wheels. We did strider style so they can learn how to balance. And okay, we're going to put, we, we didn't buy a strider. We just took pedals off of a bike. And then, all right, we're putting the pedals on now. It's time for you to ride the bike. I can't, I can't. Well, yeah, you can. And here you go. Down the hill he goes. Whoa, it's not all perfect, but he made it on that for inaugural ride there. And all of us can remember learning to ride a bike, falling and skinning the knee. There was a book uh, published a while back called The Blessing of a Skinned Knee. It's like hardships is something that is for our benefit, right? What does it say about Adam and the curse upon the ground? It says God cursed the ground for man's sake. The ease and convenience and comfort and no difficulties life is not actually a benefit. The challenges, the tough times are what grow us. So there he did it, the five-year-old bike rider. Actually, he was four at that time. Now, here's the baby girl. She learned a major life skill around age one right there. So here she's off. She is walking. Oh, look at the smile on her face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, oh no. She fell down. She's a terrible walker, isn't she? No, that's ridiculous. You wouldn't say that. But that's what a fixed mindset says. The Bible says that a righteous man may fall down seven times, but he gets back up. We keep on pressing on toward the goal to win the prize. We keep on fixing our eyes on Jesus. He says, I'm going to pull you up out of the muck and the mire. None of us were born with the ability to walk. It's grow, grow, grow. What the living parables teach us. And as adults, we even fall down sometimes. We had, in Michigan, we have this substance. Um, when, you wouldn't be familiar with it down here in Florida probably, but you know water, right? Uh, H2O. Um, when it gets below 32 degrees, it's called the freezing point, and it turns into this substance called ice. Have you heard, have you heard about that? you read about that? Maybe seen pictures of it? <laughs> you guys are so spoiled down here. Don't even, get me, don't even get me started. By the way, thank you for embracing me in the beauty of January when it's 70 degrees down here, 80 degrees, 65 degrees. I'll take it. Um, ice. I'm on the ice. And I'm walking as carefully as possible. And I grew up on this stuff, right? Yeah, I lived for five years in California, but we're back in Michigan. I know how to walk on the ice. Maybe a little overconfident. And one day I fell down five times. <laughs> but, he, but he gets back up, the Bible says, right? But he rises again. And another time I was getting groceries and I was coming home in the dark at night. So I came back from a speaking appointment and I usually stop by the grocery store on, on the way home, my wife doesn't need to make the trip into town and, and I'm kind of do the grocery shopping for our family. So, but, but I'm getting home after the family's asleep 
And do you, are you like me where you know every corner, every wall, every light switch, where everything is in the house? So this is no problem. I'm walking with my groceries in my hands. I got like six bags in one hand, six bags in the other, all stretched to the max. And I'm ready. I'm in the kitchen. I know right where I'm going to put these, except little did I know my wife had added a piece to the house. It was a crate of, of, of cucumbers that she had harvested and they were laying right on the ground next to the island that I was about to step next to in the kitchen. So the crate is there. I have no idea because it's very dark. So I'm walking and then and, the, and the, the, the bags go on the ground. The avocados come flying out of there, bouncing on the ground like basketballs and the cans are making loud noise. And it's like, that was the loudest noise I've ever made at night during my children sleeping. Nobody woke up amazingly. But anyway, the lesson is I literally fell down on the ground in my own house. It's a silly story to illustrate hey, we all fall. And, and by the way, don't take that analogy too far to excuse sin. When the Bible says a righteous man may fall seven times, he's righteous because he has the blood of Jesus Christ and the merits of Christ's righteousness that he pursues in repentance, in confession. And it doesn't excuse or normalize or, or make us expect sin. We can have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is God willing to give us that victory? Is he able to give us that victory? So, but, but also at the same time, don't let the accuser get you down. If you've messed up, he delights in just saying, God can't forgive you one more time. He's too distant from you. You've alienated him. He couldn't possibly love you. You couldn't possibly go to him in forgiveness. That's the accuser's mindset. Puts you in that fixed mindset of, I am a sinner. I am lost. No, Jesus says, I came to save sinners. And save means healed. And healing is a process. Yes, he puts that robe on us. And we have his perfection in the moment where we failed and fell and came out in repentance. But also we can grow up to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now on that thing about hardships, the fixed mindset says, hardships and difficulties are to be avoided at all costs. But the growth mindset says, no, try hard things. No pain, no gain. Look at this mouse utopia. This was the mouse utopia experiment done many decades ago. They gave these mice the most cushy lifestyle possible. All their food provided easily for them. Plenty of mating opportunities, comfortable bedding, and beyond abundant food. No hardships, no effort, no challenges within just a couple of generations, these mice started acting totally crazy. Some of them isolated themselves socially. Others, there were mothers attacking their babies. Other mice just randomly started attacking each other violently for no reason. It kind of sounds like our society, by the way, doesn't it? That's a whole other message on the social commentary of this degenerate age. But, but the lesson here is... These mice had it too good. <laughs> Doesn't the Bible talk about Laodicea? And we're, we think we're so rich and good. And like, I don't have need of nothing. But hey, wait, you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This one right here is a video from circa 1982, the old camcorder. I'm going to let that one roll. Did you make it, Chad? No, I made it. 
Did you hear my mom's words to me when I was that little two-year-old shooting the basketball? By the way, if you couldn't see the clip, the two-year-old is shooting, that's me, uh, shooting the basketball and it barely gets above his head. It's like, dad, dad goes, almost, Scotty, almost. And then I, I shoot it again. He goes, did you make it? Almost, daddy, almost. Yeah, not even close, but it's a growth mindset. Yeah, eventually you'll get it up there. And then the big brother's ball smacks me in the face. But the words of my mother, it's okay, you try again. It's okay. You got a little bumps and bruises along the way in our agricultural endeavors, in our careers, in relationships, and we messed up or we dropped the ball or we failed at something. I have not failed. Because grow, grow, grow works in our lives when we live the biblical way. Now, by the way, the dad, you didn't see my dad in the video because he's always behind the camcorder and I have no pictures or videos of my dad. He was always the one taking them. But um, occasionally, once in every blue moon, he would sit me down. Scott, come, come into the living room or the, the dining room. It would be like the room that we hardly ever go in where we have, you know, Sunday dinners and grandma and grandpa come over, but on a random, random, you know, Wednesday evening or whatever, come sit down. Okay, wow, he must have something important to tell me about here. Maybe I did something wrong or I don't know what's going on. So he's got my attention. I'm sitting there with him. He gave me a few of these chats during my childhood. And he would, he would say these phrases that I still remember to this day. I don't remember all the illustrations and applications. And he talked for like 20 minutes. But I'd hear these phrases over and over and over again. You can become anything you want when you grow up. Open your mind to bigger possibilities. This is growth mindset language, isn't it? Like, I didn't even know what a growth mindset was until I you know, recently studied this and Carol Dweck and all of that. And, and by the way, the, some of the, there's some new agers who get onto this weirdness like the power is within you and all that. So be careful if you look into growth mindset. Take a look at the Bible. It's the ultimate growth mindset treatise from, from God himself. But my dad was giving that to me. And as I look back, I mean, how deep that goes into your heart. And maybe, maybe some of us didn't hear that kind of stuff. Another one he would tell me is, don't take the easy way out. You see the hardships and difficulties and press on through it and it'll strengthen you. But I'm telling you something. The Father in heaven is speaking to each one of us. For those who need, need to have that, um, that void filled by a Father, if you know what I mean. The, the heavenly Father says to you, you are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And you're going, no, that's what he said to Jesus. He doesn't say that to me. I'm not, I'm not pleasing him. Read in the book, Desire of Ages. It says that the words that the Father spoke to Jesus apply also to us. And this is when we are seeking him. You know, Submit to God. You are adopted as his child when you surrender to him. And now you're adopted. Did you hear the word? Jesus was not ashamed to call us brethren, it says in Hebrews. 
So we are now children of the Father with Jesus, our elder brother in the human race, and the words of the Father to Jesus are now applied to us. That's amazing. So the Father says, I approve of you, because he sees Christ's righteousness when we accept Jesus as our Savior, and we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So God puts us in the growth mindset and says, I've called you by your name, thou art mine. You can be transformed and renewed, press on toward the goal to win the prize. And you know what? Through the hardships of it, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, when he says, I delight in hardships, he's getting right to this point, isn't he? And Romans 5 says, suffering produces perseverance and character. And as I mentioned, Genesis 3, God cursed the ground for man's sake. And Hebrews 5, where Jesus learned obedience, he learned obedience through the things he suffered. So are we willing to accept this living parable of the grow, grow, grow concept? Let's get out there in the garden of God, experience the living parables, reaching us deep, into our soul and heart with conviction that, that logical reasoning can't comprehend. It'll improve also our thinking that we can be thinkers and not mere reflectors of other men's thoughts. And it'll grow our character as we get ready to bear the fruit unto the harvest, at which time he will come and claim his people as his own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And just as Adam and Eve walked in the garden with him, may we have his presence with us. Just as Adam and Eve, before they had the written word, had the book of nature, that first book that you revealed yourself to them through, we pray that we would see your messages to us also in the living parables, in the growth concept and in all of our endeavors and in, in working outside and labor and toil and also and enjoying the Sabbath day and beholding your creation. Father, we thank you so much for nature, for, for agriculture, for calling us to a way of living that will bring us a, a sustainable walk of joy with Jesus. I just lift up every person in here with every struggle that we face. May we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. May we take hope and take heart that Jesus has gained that victory and that you are going to finish the work in us, that he who, who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And we just surrender and submit to that right now. We, we surrender self and, and wanting to do it our own way. And we say, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.